Turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're finishing up this chapter. Going into chapter 4. And in this book, the, the Apostle Paul has urged unity in the church. And then in the passage that we were studying last week, he warns against enemies of the gospel that are living for earthly things rather than for heaven. Now, what does it mean to live for earthly things? We know we have plenty of examples of earthly things. Living for money. Living for physical pleasure. Living for our lusts. There are many, many ways that we can give ourselves to the earthly rather than seeking to glorify God, seeking to promote and to build His kingdom. But now in this passage, Paul describes the church in Philippi as his own heavenly fruit that he is seeking. And this is, this is a wonderful thing. Um, he calls Philippi his crown. His crown. And until you read Paul and how he speaks of heaven and the theology of the rewards that believers have in him, you're not going to see the depth of meaning in that word when he, when he says that they are his crown. What he's doing is, he is even right there teaching us, teaching them, calling us to live for heavenly things, to be building up treasure in heaven. Because Paul can't wear the Philippian church here on earth. There's no crown he can put on here. But when he calls them his crown, he is speaking of the treasure that he is building up in heaven. And then, right in the middle of that, he addresses two women by name, calling them in particular to unity. And if that wasn't enough, he then urges the rest of the church to help them in this unity, to be united with one another. And from this, we learn a good portion of what it means for us to be seeking heavenly things, to have our citizenship in heaven, rather than to be seeking after the earthly. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Philippians 3, beginning in verse 17, we'll read through the first three verses of chapter 4. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction 
whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has, even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. How does Paul seek heavenly things? How does Paul... work to build up the kingdom of heaven. That's that's what a citizen of heaven does. A citizen of heaven loves his kingdom that he's a part of. Today in America, it's common form, common practice for us to Uh, look down on our citizenship, look down on our nation. This is not a universal thing, but we have largely lost the love of our citizenship that most people down through history would have had, a, a love and a commitment for not just their family, but the place that their family holds its citizenship. And so when Paul urges us to recognize that our citizenship is in heaven, that's not just so that we can be like, oh yeah, when asked, my label is this one as opposed to that one. (laughs) Right? Citizenship means that you have a commitment to that country that land, and that you are working on its behalf. And this is, this is why people volunteer to fight for their country, because they have that built-in, that innate sense that their land is worth protecting, fighting for, serving, even self-sacrificially. And so... We must learn from that simple knowledge that many have forgotten today, but that some still remember. And then we must apply it here when Paul is urging us not to be like those who have set their minds on earthly things, but to remember that our citizenship is in heaven. And then he's 
He's said to follow his example and to follow other people who are following his example. What is his example? Well, here he immediately gives some description that helps us to see it. First, he speaks of the church in Philippi as his joy and his crown. Now, what is your joy in? If your joy is in, or your hope is in, some earthly thing, whether that is a relationship, whether that is in a job, whether that is in uh, just having fun, or... Is your joy in something like Paul has his joy in, the church at Philippi? How can his joy be, how can he call them his joy? Well, we get a feel for it because they are, as we've seen earlier, producing the fruit that he has urged them to, that he's taught them to. Them sending support for him through a messenger, right? While he's in jail, demonstrates that they have borne spiritual fruit. And so therefore, he can speak of them as his crown. Remember how often Paul writes about not wanting to have run in vain. Some of the time that's about his own faith and obedience, but an awful lot of the time what he's saying is he's speaking to the churches that he has planted and he's saying, you must bear good spiritual fruit or my work will have been in vain. But for Philippi, what does he say? Right now he says that they are his crown. Now, they're only a crown if they're beautiful, if they have been and done what they are supposed to, spiritually speaking, if they have established themselves uh, as citizenship, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Because if they were seeking after the earthly things, they would be burned up in the end, in the final judgment. And there would be no crown left for Paul. So how does Paul seek heavenly things? The simplest answer that you can see universally in Paul's life is Paul builds the church. Paul builds the church. He gives himself in service to the people of God day in, day out, seeking to establish churches writing letters to those churches he has already established, calling them to repentance, to obedience, to faith, urging them on in the battle, in the race. He gives himself over and over, day after day, living out his life, giving up his life, being poured out as a drink offering. In what? Building the church of Christ. And this is why Paul calls them 
his crown. He has built and continues to give himself in service to that church in Philippi. Now, Paul's an apostle. So I can hear you thinking right now, well, it's good that there were apostles. I'm glad I don't have to be one. Right? It's a good thing back then there were men like Paul who gave themselves up for the church. But here's this odd little thing. Paul called us to follow in his footsteps, to follow his example, didn't he? He knew that we were not all called. He knew that the church in Philippi wasn't wasn't filled with people who were all supposed to be apostles, right? And yet, he says in verse 17, chapter 3, Brethren, join in following my example, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And what is that pattern? Day in, day out, service to the church of Christ. Heaven is where Paul's focus is in this passage, our citizenship being there the hope that we have of that transformation that comes when Christ returns. And we need that transformation, don't we? We feel the need for that to be completed in us. Not just because we feel the physical weakness of aging, of growing old, of approaching death. Not just when we see that our life could end at any moment. Not just when we're laid low by sickness, but every time that we stumble back into sin, we feel the need that this work would be completed, that He would come, that He would take away this body of death and renew us and remake us according to His image. We need that, don't we? And what will it be like then? Well, we'll be in heaven. The earth will be remade. We will not simply have uh, new bodies, but all things will be made new. And often I think we get into this mindset because of our individualism in America today that heaven is going to be me and Jesus walking alone together, having a deep conversation. And of course, we've got the songs to prove it, right? And he walks with me and he talks with me. And we have this individualistic idea that it's, it's just about me and God. It's just about my relationship with him right now. And that then that will be restored and it'll all be about me again. And my relationship with God. And, and it's just, you know, there I'll be. 
and I'll be in paradise. And, and how many times when you think of being in heaven, do you think of other people being around you? I think of it, and I think, okay, there's a street of gold. And, uh, and you think of the buildings as the, you know, the, that are described. You think of the, the crazy gates, pearl, and, right? You, and you think of this cubic city, and you wonder how much of this is... You wonder what it's teaching us. You wonder what's metaphor. You wonder how much... What, what, what are we supposed to get from this? And then I think, the saints are there. And that's, that's what comes last, right? You think God is there. His glory fills the place. There's no need for the sun because he lights it. And there I am, and there's the light, and, and God is there. And what is this, a big empty city? This is not like, uh, this is not like that city that you, see, that you see in Inception. Big empty city, and you're there, right? It's your dream city. You made it. No, God made it, and he made it out of his saints and for his saints. He's building up his church. He's establishing his bride, right? It is heaven is all his people in unity, such that we are one body, Christ's bride. That's what Paul is working towards. That's what Jesus is working towards. Isn't it? When we read in Ephesians 5 of his relationship with his bride, the church, what do we read? We read that he is purifying her, cleansing her presenting her to himself without spot or wrinkle. And so if we are part of that work, if we are pursuing that, following after Jesus Christ, then what does that mean? It means that we are seeking Yes, for ourselves to be cleansed. Yes, for our sin to be put to death so that there is no spot or wrinkle coming from our part. But more than that, that the whole church is being built up and established and cleansed and purified and unified. And so we are not simply worried about ourselves if we are following in the footsteps of Paul, as he calls us to. Just as he is not simply worrying about himself. Is he worried about himself? Absolutely. He is worried that he would not, in the end, have been found to run in vain. But what does he give himself to? He gives himself to building the church. That's what it means to have a commitment to your citizenship that is in heaven. Building Christ's bride. So how can you 
follow in Paul's footsteps? How can you follow in his footsteps as he builds the church? Well, the very first thing is recognizing that tremendous care that he has for the people of God that you see right here. What does he call them? His beloved brethren, whom he longs to see. Are there people that you can say that about? Can can you call the church of Jesus Christ, can you write to a specific church and can you say, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see? That's not something that only apostles are allowed to say or supposed to say, right? Is it only the apostles that are supposed to love the people of God? No. We are all called to that love. And so when he says, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, and then he calls them his joy, He's demonstrating to us that love of the church. He's demonstrating to us the level of commitment and care that he has for the people of that church in Philippi. Now, here it might be easy for us to to look at this and say, like, you know what? It's great that Paul can write that to the church in Philippi. Uh, If I had planted a church, I could probably write that to the church that I planted too. But the people right here, right now that I'm among, now they're a mess. And it's, it's a lot easier to say my joy and my crown to people who are far off over there, who I don't have to be dealing with the consequences of their sin on a daily basis. Right? But you know that's not true of Paul. (laughs) You know, number one, that he is dealing with their sin and that he is struggling on their behalf on a daily basis precisely because he writes that. He says, besides the daily weight of the care that I have for all the churches, when he's describing his service that he has given to Christ, Right? And to that heavenly work. But also, because right here in this letter, what does he say? I urge you, Yodia and Syntyche, to get along with each other. What is that? Besides him dealing with, facing the sin in that church and loving them enough to provide care, to be praying for them. To keep working on their behalf. So how can you build the church of Christ? The first thing is to recognize that it's not some theoretical city that's empty except for you and God that you're building. 
It's a, it's a city made of living stones who are the people of Christ. The second thing to realize is that it is never, uh, it's, it's never devoid of particular local context, right? You can't love the church generically, even if it's made up of people, without loving individual people. The world is filled with people who have written very motivationally about the necessity of caring for the people in general while destroying and killing and, and hating the people who are actually in their lives, right? Here we have Paul demonstrating it for us even in this little brief letter, how it is that he builds his church, the care that he has. So until we recognize, until we begin to see the lack of loving care that we have towards one another, okay, there's really no way for us to follow in his footsteps because he was absolutely concerned for them. Now, I, all of this is just to get us to the point where we say, yeah, you know what? Okay. I see the necessity of giving myself in service to building Christ's church. I'm going to love her. And then I'm, that means I'm going to have to love the people that make her up. Right? But then you're still left with that big, okay, now how? How can I do that? Right? How can I be building the church? Well, of course, the easiest one for us to... Uh, to see in America today, I think, is the financial building, right? Well, if I just give money to her, that's, that's the way that we handle all kinds of supporting today, right? You, uh, you download the, the uh, Cornell Bird app on your phone, and in order to start using it, they require an email address from you. And then you're on their list. And what do they do? They send you email after email after email asking for what? Money. And so the, the goal is, like the Audubon Society, to what? What? Protect the birds, right? I mean, maybe you've never used the Cornell app, but I mean, you, you know that's, that's the whole mission, that's the whole vision, right? And, and so, how are you going to protect the birds? Well, give, give money, right? Never mind what you're doing in your backyard, right? This is the American way. How do you build something? Money, because we have lots of it. 
But of course, this is just such a, a pathetically little, tiny aspect of what it means to build something. It's ironic that it feels so. Uh, it's ironic that it feels so dangerous to say, "Give money to the church." Like that's that's the only thing really that Americans are are generally willing to do. And yet, even that, you have all kinds of people, you know. Saying, well, you know, they just want to build money. They just want money. Well, I'm the pastor. I'm paid by the church. Yeah, that is a sin on the part of many pastors. It is a danger. It is a temptation to me. And yet, if we can't at the most basic level say, where your money is, there your heart is, right? You see, you put your money where your mouth is. That's, that's, we, we say these things because we recognize that when you actually support, when you actually build something, you're willing to give of the labor of your hands to it. This is that. It's just so basic. It's so simple. And yet, is that where Paul ends? No. He says, thanks for sending money. Remember, the Philippians had sent money. <laughs> Thanks for sending money. That's good. You, I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you renewed your concern for me. Uh, now, Yodia, Sintiki, get along with each other. You see, he's building the church by doing that. This is one of the ways that we are able to build the church. Now, this is about as obvious as money. (laughs) Yeah, give money to the church if you want it to be built. But also, if you want the church to be built up, don't be tearing it down. And that's what fighting with the other people in the church is. Right? Yodia, Sindiki, get along. (laughs) Build up the church rather than tearing it down. So how can you build, how can you have your mind set on heavenly things? Live in peace and harmony and unity with one another in Christ. It's so obvious, isn't it? Because if you don't, not only are you tearing the church down, but why is it that you don't get along with one another? What do we read in James? Does anybody know? Where else do we see people in Peter fighting, right? What what is it that we find out? We begin to see when we read other places Be careful that you don't devour one another. Why? What's going on? Oh, you're not living as a citizen of heaven. You're concerned and seeking after the things of earth. 
That's what causes you to be fighting and biting one another, right? If we have love for Christ, then we will have love for his bride. If we have his priorities, then we will pursue his work. How can you be building up his church? Well, your guess is as good as mine why Paul urges Yodia and Syntyche to live in harmony. You know, we're not given any indication of what exactly Paul's concern is there, aside from the fact that he urges them to live in harmony in the Lord. Seems most likely that they were arguing about something, right? Maybe there was just danger of them arguing about something. Now, Paul moves, though, straight from urging them to live in harmony in the Lord. In other words, Paul moves from urging them individually to be seeking Christ and his kingdom to urging the rest of the body, everybody else who is in the church, to help them in this growth. So now Paul begins to lay out, not just if you want to be setting your mind on heavenly things rather than earthly things, you're going to be serving the church, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be growing in your own spiritual unity with one another. But he goes beyond that, and he says, here, Yodia, Syntyche, you two need to get along with one another. That would be them setting their minds on heavenly things, following after his example. But then he says, now everybody else, I urge you, true companion, right? What? Help them. Help these women. I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. So he moves on from urging individual growth to urging everybody who is in the church to help one another in that individual growth. The moment that we aren't willing to allow others to urge us on, right? I mean, urge us on. That's what the rest of the church has to do with Yodia and Syntyche. You can see them standing there staring at each other like, okay, I'm going to stop arguing, I'm going to start loving. Okay, I'm going to stop arguing, I'm going to start loving. You can see this battle rage in, inside any individual 
when they're told, here, you know, you need to, you need to stop doing that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see the truth of that. I need to stop doing that. And then what? Then walk away. Good luck with that. No. That's not what Paul does. He's, he's giving them his help by publicly in a letter that's passed down through the Holy Spirit to us thousands of years later, right? He's giving them his help. And then he says, and all the rest of you help them too. And so everybody else is supposed to come alongside Yodia and Syntyche to help them live in harmony. And so the moment that we aren't willing to allow others to help us is the moment that we are not willing to seek our heavenly citizenship. It's the moment that we lose all hope of unity. Because it's us cutting ourselves off from others in the fight. It's also the moment when you won't be personally growing spiritually anymore because you have rejected the means by which God has seen fit to provide for your personal growth. Right? It's this strange thing where you're supposed to give yourself in service to building up of the body, and if you don't, the body won't be able to help you purify, grow, mature. Or if you think that you have something to give to the body, but they have nothing to give to you, you see? True companion, I ask you also to help these women. Are you your brother's keeper? Of course, we know going way, way back, the first man who asked that question asked it rhetorically, am I my brother's keeper? As though the answer were obviously no. And the whole rest of the Bible is God teaching us that the answer is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And that means that you must be knowledgeable enough of what's going on in your brother's life to actually be a help to them. If Yodia and Syntyche have been bickering and fighting for five years in the church in Philippi, and everybody's just been like, huh. huh. And it takes Paul saying, Yodia, Syntyche, get along with each other, and, and all the rest of you, help them out. Right? And we don't know the context or how long they may have been fighting or anything along those lines, but you, you see, it's, it's a failure if nobody notices that they're, that they're fighting with each other. And then it's a failure if nobody says something to them. And, and if nobody comes alongside them and helps strengthen them in unity and in love for one another. 
But it starts with it starts with noticing, doesn't it? Don't you have to know each other well enough? Think about Cain asking, am I my brother's keeper? When did he ask that? What was the context? Simply where? Wasn't that what God asked him? Where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? You need to know where your brother is. It's that, you see, that it's, it's that basic of a level that we're required to know one another. It's very easy to spiritualize these things and to, and to make them into these great big concepts that are very hard to have any practical application. But how is it helpful to know where your brother is? Well, let me give you an example. Did I say give you an example? An example. <laughs> Here's an example. Is your brother alone at his girlfriend's house? Does, does that matter? Does it matter if you know? Is it practical? You see how you see how concrete this is and how quickly you're able to help just with that little thing, where is your brother? It's not inconsequential where your brother is, is it? Is it is it inconsequential what he's spending his time on? How am I supposed to know what he's spending his time on? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. What is he spending his time on? If you don't know, you can't help him. Give yourself to loving and serving the church, and there will be no shortage of very practical, very simple ways to love, serve, and help one another in service to God as we seek his kingdom together. And this is why last week in the letter that I sent and in our congregational meeting, I spoke of the the necessity of increasing personal spiritual growth through discipleship to be pursued in the context of the body, helping one another you're not going to see individual personal spiritual growth divorced from the body off on your own alone trying to study, trying to improve. It always happens in the context of Christ's bride. So we must give ourselves in service to one another the way that Paul did. His life was being poured out as a drink offering. He he was delighted to have it be used for that. He rejoiced that he could be used that way. This is the service that he calls us to follow in his footsteps in doing, serving one another that same way.
Let's pray.